Um, ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome to today's conference call. I am Jean-Jacques Guilloni, the Chief Financial Officer of the LVMH Group. Before I begin, I must remind you that certain information to be discussed on today's call is forward-looking and subject to important risks and uncertainties that could cause results to differ materially. For these, I refer you to the safe harbor statement, including in our press release. Let's now move to today's topic, first half figures. After a brief discussion on the first half highlights, Chris Hollis, the group's head of investors relations, will cover the main developments of our different businesses. And Rodolphe Ozan, deputy director of investors relations, will then comment on the main figures. After this, Chris, Rodolphe and I will be available for your questions. The press release is available on our website, lvmh.com, as well as the slides for today's presentations and the interim financial report. Moving to the first slide of the presentation, I would say that the first half of 2023 has seen an excellent performance despite a disruptive environment and clearly reflects the strengths of LVMH strategy of having a diverse and balanced portfolio of brands sold all around the world. Organic revenue is up 17%, profit from recurring operations is up 13 and a a 27.4 operating margin, 1.8 billion in free cash flow after 3.6 operating investment and a respectable gearing of 21%. We will go into <coughs> some details, uh, but the main point to bear in mind, in my view, should be uh, the double digit revenue growth in all businesses groups, in all business groups, except wine and spirit, strong progress in Europe and Asia excellent performances of our main brands and also some smaller brands. I will now turn to Chris, who is going to review the main developments within our various business groups. Chris. Thank you, Jean-Jacques. Uh, we'll now dive into the performance of the business groups, beginning, as always, with wines and spirits. If you go to slide seven, in the first half of 2023, reported revenue totaled 3.2 billion euros compared to 3.3 billion in the year ago period. This reflected a 3% decline in organic terms and with a 2% negative currency impact and a 1% positive impact from the acquisition of Joseph Phelps. Profit from recurring operations was 1.1 billion euros, a decline of 9% from 1.2 billion in the H in the first half of 2022, leading to a 180 basis points decline in operating margin to 32.9% compared to the year ago first half. Breaking this down, Champagne and Wine's organic revenue increased 8%, driven by the execution of its value strategy, together with a negative 4% currency impact and a positive 1% impact from the acquisition of Joseph Phelps reported revenue was 1.6 billion compared to 1.5 billion for the year ago period. The segment benefited from growth in Europe and Japan, a continued firm price increase policy and several new collaborations and brand evolutions. Dom Perignon worked together with Lady Gaga on its newest vintage 2013 Champagne, while Verve Clicquot opened the doors of the third edition of its Solar Culture exhibition in London. Urinar launched its new Blanc Singulier Cuvée with a flavour profile shaped by the atypical climate of a year. And additionally, Chateau d'Esclan continued its international expansion 
and the acquisition of Chateminuti added to our portfolio of globally recognized prestige rosés from Provence. Moving now to Cognac and Spirits, organic revenue for Cognac and Spirits declined 11% and adding a negative 1% currency impact reported revenue was 1.6 billion compared to 1.8 billion in the year ago period. This reflected softer demand in the US due to the inflationary economic environment and high inventory distributors at the beginning of the year. This was offset in part by the recovery in China as COVID restrictions eased. To give some further insight into activities in the first half, Hennessy and the NBA rolled out their partnership in all markets and Hennessy accelerated the implementation of renewable energy sources for all their production sites. And with respect to some of the other spirits brands, Belvedere Vodka and Glenmorangie Whiskey both continued their creative innovations. Now on to fashion and leather goods. This is slide 10. In the first half, organic revenue in this business group increased a strong 20% and including a negative 3% currency impact reached 21.2 billion from 18.1 billion in the euros in the last year's period. Profit from recurring operations rose 14% from 7.5 billion euros last year to 8.6 billion euros. Operating margin in the first half of this year declined 90 basis points to 40.5% from 41.4 in the first half of 2022. As always, fashion and leather goods delivered exceptional performance, particularly Louis Vuitton and Christian Dior, driven by strong creativity and growth across categories. At Louis Vuitton, Nicolas Guesquier once again demonstrated his enormous talent designing fantastic and highly sought-after women's collections. The Men's Show, an exhibition of Farrell Williams' inaugural collection held on Pont Neuf in Paris, was very well attended and well received with significant global attention in both the traditional and on social media. Further, the brand showcased its renewed emphasis on the intersection of art, culture and fashion with the introduction of its Yayo Kasama collaboration, which performed very well, <coughs> performed very well. In other highlights, the LV Dream immersive exhibition attracted attention in Paris and the Louis Vuitton family house in Anières, where the historic workshop is located, served as a location for the Mal Courrier exhibition. Christian Dior hosted inspiring fashion shows around the world, from Mumbai to Mexico City to Paris, with collections designed by Maria Grazia Churi and Kim Jones. The brand also showcased the iconic Lady Dior bag in the Christian Dior Designer of Dreams, exhibition in Tokyo. A new high jewelry collection, Les Jardins de la Couture, featuring 170 whimsical and colorful pieces created by Victoire de la Castellane, equally proved to be a success. At Celine, Heidi Slimane's collections continue to be very well received from the new and now iconic Triumph bags to ready to wear. Loewe benefited from the fresh and bold creativity of Jonathan Anderson. Its expansion continues with its new flagship store in Dubai, which is open to join the existing Loewe store in the Dubai Mall. Fendi opens its first palazzos in Seoul and Tokyo, while its hand-in-hand -hand 
exhibition in Japan brought together a celebration of Italian craftsmanship and the iconic baguette. Laura Piana's Spring 2023 and Resort collections were highly successful, as were its extra pocket and bail bag collections. Mark Jacobs experienced sustained growth in its flagship handbag lines, tote bag and uh, snapshot. Mason also expanded its store network in the US and Europe. Ramoa has continued successful focus on raising brand awareness and elevating its distribution through improved owned stores and more qualitative retailers, while Baluti launched the new Lorenzo Drive Moccasin and expanded its store footprint. Now moving to perfumes and cosmetics, slide 13, you'll see in the first half of the year, organic revenue for this segment rose 13%, and together with a 2% negative currency impact and a negligible positive impact from the acquisition of Officine Universal Bulli, uh, reached a reported revenue of 4 billion euros, up from 3.6 billion euros in the prior year period. Profit from recurring operations increased 15%, to 446 million euros from 338, 388 million euros in the first half of 2022. An operating margin for the first half of the year increased 40 basis points to 11.1% compared to 10.7% in the first half of 2022. Perfumes and cosmetics saw excellent momentum during the, during the half, bolstered by its highly selective distribution and promotion strategy. Perfumes Parfum Christian Dior delivered solid performance with leadership across its key markets. Its core fragrances, Sauvage, J'adore, and Mist Dior, saw their enduring success continue, while a new scent by Francis Cotillon, Dior Riviera, <coughs> was added to the Maison's La Collection Privée. The brand introduced another new and innovative product, the Dior Alec Lipped Maximizer, to its portfolio while its premium skincare line, Prestige, saw good momentum in Asia. Additionally, a brand-wide transition to using beetroot for nearly half of its alcohol needs in production formulation is underway together with Givenchy and Kenzo. At Guerlain, Aquia saw strong growth and the high-end La Latière perfume collection was bolstered by the introduction of a new scent, Jasmine Bonheur. In cosmetics, its new terracotta la teinte, uh, natural, long-lasting and smudge-proof and foundation was very well received. And L'Interdit Gentleman Society and Irresistible Rose Velvet, the iconic parfum Givenchy fragrances enjoyed continued success. Benefit expanded its The Professional uh, line of pore minimizing primers and launched its new brow lamination service in stores. Makeup Forever rolled out the HD uh, skin powder, a new product in its highly popular HD skin line, while Fenty's new volume mascara, Hella Thick, also performed very well. Maison Francisco continued the development of Baccarat Rouge uh, 540 and began its collaboration with the Palace of, or Chateau de Versailles, for the new Jardin de Parfumeur, Parfumeur where uh, hundreds of new, of different perfume-making plants are being grown. Aqua di Palma's Colonia 
line enjoyed strong momentum and the brand successfully increased the exclusivity of its distribution. Now for watches and jewellery and moving to slide 16, you'll see that organic revenue increased 13% after a negative 2% currency impact reached 5.4 billion euros in the first half of 2023 compared to 4.9 billion in the year ago period. Profit from recurring operations increased 10% from 987 million to euros to 1.1 billion euros and operating margin was 20.1% as last year. Jewellery saw solid ongoing growth and there was some excellent innovation at the watch brands. Tiffany accelerated the elevation of its brand, beginning with a state-of-the-art renovation of its landmark Fifth Avenue store in New York, which spans over 9,000 square metres and 10 floors and features stunning art and design updates. This received widespread media attention and has once again become a symbolic New York destination. The Maison launched its first high jewellery collection, Out of the Blue, designed by its new artistic director, Nathalie Verdeuil. Tiffany also celebrated the global rollout of its Locke collection, the current face of which is a very popular South Korean singer, Rosie. Bulgari saw excellent growth, in particular with the great success of its Mediterranean high jewellery line. The Maison celebrated the 75th anniversary of its beloved Serpenti line with events across Los Angeles, Shanghai, New York, Seoul, and Madrid. And its watches division saw solid growth, in particular in the high-end categories. Tag Heuer also celebrated an anniversary with the 60th birthday of the iconic Carrera watch. Hublot revealed a collaboration with Takeshi Murakami on a collection of 13 Unique NFT is connected to the acquisition of 13 individual watches. Zenith expanded its Defy collection <clears throat> and further built out its pilot line, while Chomet held the inaugural Chomet Echo Culture Awards and added new products to its Leans, Leans Evidence line. Fred's Force 10 bracelet line continued to grow while the brand expanded into new markets. And lastly, we review selective retailing. Organic revenue, this is slide 19, for the first half increased a strong 26% with a negligible and negative currency impact reached 8.4 billion euros compared to 6.6 .6 billion in H1 2022. Notably, profit from recurring operations doubled from 367 million euros to, in H1 2022 to 734 million euros in the first half of this year. Operating margin increased by 330 basis points to 8.8% compared to the year ago period. In this business segment, Sephora performed exceptionally well and DFS saw some recovery with the reopening of borders and resumed international tourism. To provide some more detail, at Sephora, there was an outstanding performance across North American, European and Middle Eastern markets with continued market share gains. The opening of the first UK store was highly successful and the brand continued to innovate and evolve its highly personalised client experiences while maintaining a strong commitment to diversity and inclusion efforts. DFS benefited from the return of tourism to Hong Kong and Macau primarily with a more gradual comeback in other geographies and this drove an increase in revenue that remains below 2019 levels. 
TFS also saw increased tourist foot traffic at La Samaritaine. An uptick in tourism similarly benefited Le Bon Marché, while its loyal local clients continued to visit the store. <clears throat> there have been several animations held at the store, including the Sangam exhibition by Subdodapta, the Comme un poisson dans l'eau digital experience, and the Au Bonheur des Dames immersive theatre performance, all meant to attract and delight shoppers. <clears throat> and of course, there was a gr continued growth at La Grande Épicerie, where French and international travellers alike come to shop for gourmet foods and confections. Before I pass you on to Rudolf, I'd like to mention that this will be my last presentation of the group's results as I retire from corporate life. It has been my honor and pleasure to spend the last 23 years with LVMH, which has been a period of enormous growth and success for the group on a global basis. It's been an extraordinary and exciting professional experience, including working with wonderful colleagues at every level, bearing witness to the evolution of and helping to shape the group's investment story and getting to interact with the investment community around the world. Thank you. I'm certain I will leave you <clears throat> all in excellent hands. My esteemed colleague, Rudolf Ozone, whom many of you already know, and the very capable team behind us. I will now turn it over to Rudolf to comment the figures. Thank you, Chris. Good evening, everyone. Um, I will start the key figures review with revenue for the first half of the year as shown on slide 22. LVMH's revenue increased by 17% on an organic basis, exactly in line with the organic growth of full year 2022. Currency impact amounted to a negative 2% as most currencies depreciated against the euro in the second quarter and perimeter impacts, namely Joseph Phelps and Bully, was negligible. On a reported basis, revenue increased by 15% to 42.2 billion. The next slide, page 23, details the geographic breakdown of revenues in euros. Compared to the first half of 2022, Asia rose two percentage points in the mix. France rose one percentage point, whilst the US declined three percentage points to 24% of sales, slightly above pre-COVID levels of 23%. Europe and the rest of the world were unchanged. And as you can see, our regional exposure remains balanced with a third of sales in Asia, 23% in Europe, 24 in the US, while Japan and the rest of the world make up seven and 12% respectively. Let's now look at slide 24, which summarizes organic growth by region on a quarterly basis. I'll start with the US, which increased by 3% in the first half, of which plus 8 in Q1 and minus 1 in Q2. The sequential deceleration is due to two factors. Firstly, remember that our wines and spirits business was heavily disrupted after some supply chain issues at the beginning of last year and rebounded strongly in Q2. Secondly, we continue to see softer demand from American consumers compared to other Western clientels and continued growth in American purchases outside of the US. By contrast, Asia bounced back 23% in the first half of the year, including 34% in the second quarter. So in a nutshell, last year we had very strong first half in the US whilst Asia was more muted. This year we have the opposite, once again highlighting the merits of regional balance. Finally, Japan and Europe remained strong throughout the first half, up 31 and 22% respectively. 
On to slide 25, you will find a summary of first half growth by division. We already discussed the reasons for the 3% revenue decline in wines and spirits. I won't come back on that. All other divisions grew double digit with a particularly strong contribution from fashion and leather goods and selective distribution. Breaking down this performance by quarter on slide 26, growth was remarkably consistent at group level, plus 17 in Q1 and in Q2, a bit more contrasted by division. Wines and spirits faced a very uneven comparison basis as discussed earlier. All other divisions grew double digit in both quarters. Fashion and leather goods, perfumes and cosmetics, watches and jewelry accelerated in Q2 on the back of stronger growth in Asia while selective distribution achieved particularly strong growth rates in both quarters. Moving on to slide 27, where you will find our simplified PML account for the first half of the year. Reported revenue growth of 15% translated into a 16% increase in gross profit, and gross margin remained at an all-time high of 69%. Operating expenses increased by 18% on a reported basis and by one percentage point as a percentage of sales due to higher marketing expenses, which increased by 24% on an organic basis. Against this backdrop, profit from recurring operations increased by 13% to 11.6 billion, a little bit above the operating income achieved in the full year of 2019. Other product and charges had a negligible impact. Financial income improved significantly due to the mark-to-market impact of our financial investment portfolio. I will comment this in a separate slide in a minute. The group's income tax rate is 26%, very consistent with recent levels. And after taking into account a 2% increase in minority interests driven by the recovery of DFS, the group's share of net profit amounted to 8.5 billion, up 30%. Let's now look at the profit from recurring operations by business group on slide 28, starting with the most contrasted divisions. You have two negative swing factors here, wines and spirits and other activities and eliminations, which are more than offset by a doubling of recurring profits in selective distribution. Taken together, the net effect of these three lines is a plus 9% increase in recurring operating profits. The other three divisions are closer to group average, plus 10 for watches and jewelry, plus 14 for fashion and leather goods, in line with the second half of last year, and plus 15 for perfumes and cosmetics. Moving on to slide 29, where you have a breakdown of EBIT growth constituents. At constant currencies, recurring operating income increased by 15%. Perimeter impact was negligible. Currencies had negative 2% impact, resulting in 13% increase in recurring operating income on a reported basis. The next slide on page 30 details our financial income, which improved by 1.3 billion. So two highlights here. Firstly, you can see the impact of higher interest rates on the cost of debt, which now amounts to 171 million, while we had a 2 million gain last year. And secondly, the revaluation of our financial investments, which benefited from more auspicious markets. Slide 31, you can see a snapshot of our balance sheet structure at end June. Uh, it's fairly similar to last year and does not call for any specific comment. 
Let's now look at slide 32, which details our operating free cash flow. As you can see on the first line, our cash from operation increased, whereas our operating free cash flow declined by 2.2 billion. There are three main reasons to this decrease. Uh, we've already discussed one of them, which is the higher cost of debt. The second one is working capital, uh, which increased due to revenue growth, of course, but also to strategic investments. We took advantage of a good 2022 harvest to increase our stocks of champagne and eau de vies, and we increased our stock of precious stones to support the growth of our high jewelry business. The third reason is CapEx, which have increased by 1.7 billion, of which 1.5 relates to the acquisition of commercial real estates. Finally, on slide 33, a comment on the group's net debt, which increased by 1.3 billion, although as you can see, the gearing ratio is stable at 21%. I will finish my comments on the figures with the interim dividend, which has been fixed at 5.5 euros per share, to be paid on December 6th this year. Thank you for your attention, and Jean-Jacques will now conclude uh, this presentation. Thank you, uh, Rodolphe. So I would like to conclude this brief overview of the activity with a few comments, highlighting the most important points of this semester. As always, it is not easy to look forward given business and political uncertainties. This said, we can mention a few important points. First, we enter uh, the second half with continued strong creative momentum of our maison. Second, uh, our geographic balance and diversification has proven to be a very key, key asset over the last couple of years. And thirdly, our financial strength provides an unparalleled ability to invest behind our brands. This doesn't mean that we are immune to any external shocks. It just means that we have the ability to face more adverse conditions and to emerge from them stronger than ever. With this, let's turn to Q&A, and Rodolphe, I will let you summarize the process. Thank you, Jean-Jacques. We will now open the line for questions uh, and answer. For those of you following this conference call on Zoom, please use the raise hand function of your application if you wish to ask a question. And the first question comes from Chiara Battistini, from JP Morgan. Chiara, you may ask your question. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you very much, Rodolphe and uh, Jean-Jacques and Chris. Um, a couple of questions, please, for me. Uh, the first one, maybe uh, coming on the fashion and leather goods performance in the quarter, uh, if uh, you could comment on the performance by nationalities and notably the progress you've seen with the Chinese consumer, um, maybe possibly against the 2021 base uh, for easiness of comparison on the, on the base. And the second question on uh, the profitability of fashion and leather goods, uh, there was a level of reinvestment <clears throat> that was a bit higher than what I had anticipated. So I was hoping to get some more color on uh, the areas you mentioned marketing, but anything else? And uh, should we be thinking about this kind of level of reinvestment for the whole year for fashion and leather goods? Thank you. Thank you, Chiara. Um, so your first question about the Chinese uh, nationality uh, in fashion and leather, uh, you're absolutely right in suggesting that we should compare it with uh, 2021 as it is certainly the right measurement given the disruptions in the comparison base in 2022. Uh, it's also uh, valid 
uh, for a second reason is that we've seen throughout uh, the first half of the year a significant increase in the share of the global business we do with mainlanders outside their domestic country. So the share of tourism actually went up from roughly speaking 15% of the total in the course of 2022 to as much as 30% if not more in the course of 2023. So that's another good reason to look at it on a global basis and compare to 2021. If we do that over uh, the uh, semester and despite a fairly slow start uh, in January and to a lesser extent in February, we enjoyed a 40 to 45% increase on a two-year stack uh, basis of our business with fashion leather. Vuitton is slightly above that and uh, Dior is slightly below, uh, below that. But all, all in all, we are very satisfied with the level of business we do with the Chinese uh, client base as it, be, as it has been up compared to 2021 more uh, than uh, 40%. Uh, your second question about the profit, profitability of fashion, you've seen a slight uh, erosion of profitability in the first half of the, of the year, something like 80 to 90 basis points, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, this comes from two things. One is some reinvestment, as you suggested, into advertising and promotion. Uh, you may have uh, noticed, unless uh, you are living on, a, uh, another, on another planet, that we have done a few uh, runaway shows of a certain magnitude in the course of the first half of the year, and I refer particularly to uh, the Vuitton Men Show in, uh, in June, but there were many uh, others uh, during the quarter with a very good resonance and a very good impact with the, um, the, cli uh, the client base. So we are very happy with what we've done, but this comes unfortunately with a cost and this cost is reflected into our advertising and promotion expense that rose slightly more than our, our sales. The second factor, which is a bit more unusual, is that if we look at the breakdown of our business, where we got uh, the uh, highest growth, namely in China and in Japan, is where we've seen uh, the more currency pressure. Uh, everybody thinks about the dollar being uh, going down against the euro. It was not the case in the first half on average. It's exactly the same level, but it is, it is not the case for the renminbi and uh, the, uh, the yen. And despite some price increase, we have not been really able to uh, offset the currency movements. And we had a little bit of pressure coming about something like, something like 40, 45 basis points coming from the geogra geographic mix. Usually it doesn't happen because we are able to increase prices fairly quickly. We decided to postpone it a bit, uh, not in order not to, not, not to impair uh, the momentum in those two uh, geographies. It will come at some point, but uh, I, I cannot really elaborate at this point in time. Thank you. The next question comes from Rogerio Fujimori from Stifel. Rogerio, please ask your question. Oh, um, hi. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about, uh, about watches and jewelry, uh, Jean-Jacques Tiffany and Bulgari additional color in terms of performance by, by region, nationality, um, uh, price contribution, etc. And my second question is just uh, also uh, if you could um, talk a little bit more 
about the, the U.S. cluster uh, performance for, for Louis Vuitton. Thank you. Okay, so on watches and jewelry, you've seen the global glo global numbers. It was a pretty good uh, global, uh, pretty good number altogether, with a growth of 13% in organic terms throughout uh, the first first half of the year. Um, watches and jewelry is no exception to the global trend uh, that has been described uh, before. A little bit under pressure in uh, the U.S. Uh, and a very strong performance in Asia, and notably with uh, the Chinese uh, customers. They are not growing, if I take the same measurement, I mean, the two-year stack basis and the global um, customer base, Chinese customer base, they don't rise as fast as the number I mentioned before for fashion leather, but we are in between 25 and 30%, so a significant growth anyway, uh, with um, Chinese uh, customers over uh, two years. Uh, but obviously, uh, the share of the business we do in, US, in the US with um, uh, uh, Tiffany doesn't enable them to grow as fast as, as Bulgari. So we have a little bit uh, the opposite of what we had last year. Last year, Tiffany benefited from the strength in the US uh, client base. To, uh, this year, it's actually uh, Bulgari benefited from the strength in the Chinese uh, client base. Uh, your second question is about the US. Uh, cluster with, um, uh, with, with uh, fashion leather. Uh, it's uh, a, bit, a bit down. We were uh, slightly positive in the um, first quarter of the year. We are slightly negative in the second quarter uh, of, the, of the year, but very close to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to zero. So all in all, we, we experience a little bit of, um, uh, of pressure with the American, uh, American customer. Uh, to varying degrees amongst uh, brands, some are more uh, subject to this than, um, uh, than, uh, than other. But all in all, uh, we have a situation where, by and large, the aspirational customer is suffering a bit. We are experiencing drops with enterprise products, with um, online sales, with second-tier cities, which is a clear sign that the aspirational customers is not shopping as much as they used to. And conversely, uh, the rest of the portfolio uh, is, doing, is doing pretty well. So fairly contrasted situation in the U.S. that explains where, where we are today with, with the American uh, customer base, i.e. around the uh, balance compared to uh, last year. The next question comes from Antoine Belge from BNPP Exam. Antoine, please ask your question. Hello, uh, good evening, and, and first of all, uh, Chris, thank you for all these years of uh, hard work and also uh, fun in, in various spaces of, of the world. So I uh, really uh, enjoy those, those years, and thanks again. And uh, Rodolphe, uh, good luck. <laughs> um, so three questions as usual. First of all, um, I'd like to come back on this uh, uh, comment about um, the level of spending in the in, in the first half, I mean, Jean-Jacques, if I recall well, uh, in January, you said uh, we will not do this every semester. So that was yet another semester. So uh, could, could we see basically a bit of a reverse of, of, a, of a mirror of last year? You, you said that it's been H2 last year, H1 this year, and then over the full year, it's sort of normalized. Or do you think that now these uh, fashion shows and, you know, I mean, it's basically that... Uh, I wouldn't call it um, a cost of doing business because it's something that you decide yourself, but you, I think you understand the, the question. 
Um, my second question relates to um, to Europe. Um, so here, is it possible to have um, you know a bit of a same question that was already asked for other nationalities, especially for the for the local consumer in, in Europe for fashion and other. And finally, um, I mean the FX impact so was minus two on EBIT, minus two on sales. So I would say pretty neutral. It seemed that you never benefited from the huge, uh, you know, increase in the dollar of last year. So, which is a bit of a premiere for me, especially since you're using option. I would have expected at some stage you to benefit. So I understand you mentioned uh, elements on other, you know, currencies. But, but what what happened in terms of? Is it because there were some option tunnel that were you know, outside of the band or anything like that. So thank you. And um, if you could shed, shed some color. Uh, thank you, Antoine, on your, on your three questions. Uh, first of all, on the ANP spanning, is it a new, basically your question is whether this is a new normal uh, or, uh, or not. I don't think so. We, we, we had in the first half of the, uh, of the year a number of events, particularly uh, that bear in mind that there is a cost coming with these events, but on top of that, there is also a marketing support on advertising uh, and media that we, ha that we have to do to make them more efficient. So the cost of all these initiatives were, was obviously uh, quite, uh, quite, quite high. I'm not saying we regret it. 1.1 billion views on the Farrell Williams uh, show on the Pont Neuf is quite extraordinary in my, in my view and worth uh, the investment. Uh, but anyway, this comes with a, with, with a cost. Second half should be more quiet on, uh, on this. I'm not saying that we don't have events and we'll have some that hopefully will surprise you, but probably to a lower uh, frequency and level than what we had in the first half of the, um, of the year. The second question is about Europe and um, basically locals versus, versus tourists. As you've seen, I mean, we are growing about 20% in Europe in the first half of the year. This, only, this is not only achievable with the, the, the contribution of locals. You need some, some boost from touristic flows as well to achieve that type of, uh, that type of growth. By and large, I'm si simplifying it a little bit, but locals, particularly in fashion and leather, we're growing mid to high single digit in, in most uh, geographies, while the extra uh, business came from touristic flows, mostly uh, from the US, but also uh, from uh, other uh, European countries, and to a lesser extent, obviously, from, uh, from Asia. Uh, your question about FX is actually, uh, well, com com comes back to what happened last year. Well, we cover, we hedge our business through options, but mostly uh, through tunnels. Actually, there is a ceiling uh, to uh, the option strategies that we are putting in place. And above a certain level, we don't benefit from the appreciation of uh, the currency. Obviously, it doesn't happen very often, but last year, given the sharp increase in the uh, US dollar, particularly uh, in, Q3, in Q3, we did not fully uh, benefited from the strengths in the, in the US dollar as we ended up selling our uh, dollar with a cap on the benefit we were, uh, we were getting. That's probably why uh, your, your, when you compare that with, with, with this year, you seem to be a bit uh, disappointed. Let's put it that, uh, that way. Bear also in mind that this year, the second half should be different, but in the first half of the, of the year, we only re registered significant hedging gains on the renminbi and the, and, the, and the yen. This is significant, but anyway, it, it doesn't, doesn't touch the, the US dollar portfolio as our uh, rate uh, this year was very close to last year's uh, average uh, rate. 
chances are that the second half will be different in this respect. The next question comes from Thomas Chauvet from CT. Um, yeah. Can, can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, firstly, um, a brief message to Chris was seeing you a, a very happy retirement. It was a pleasure working with you for the last uh, 17 or 18 years. Thanks for your support and uh, wishing all the best to, to Rodolphe in his uh, new role. Um, my um, three questions. Um, Firstly, perhaps on cognac, uh, Jean-Jacques, could you try to give us a bit of uh, of your kind of crystal ball outlook for the rest of the year? Comment on depletions, uh, inventory levels, pricing, and and with regards to the U.S. specifically, I mean, are you concerned, like maybe some of your peers or some commentators, about the uh, the, the the loss of perhaps steam and desirability of the cognac category relative to other categories, some other categories that you have in your portfolio, uh, actually. Uh, secondly, on selective retailing, could you elaborate on the on the big profit swing? Uh, it's been a, a while we haven't seen that uh, in that division. How much of that is due to DFS and to Sephora? And and regarding DFS, how is the lack of uh, recovery in, in tour groups uh, impacting your DFS strategy for, for the rest of your year? How, how are you uh, adapting? And, and, and finally, a broader question on, on Vuitton and, and Dior. Back in January, there were two major management changes. Delphine Arnaud taking over the CEO role at Dior, uh, the Dior CEO, uh, Pietro Beccari replacing Michael Burke at Vuitton. I, I know it's been only six, seven months, but what would you say will be their you know, top, top two, three priorities? Uh, obviously, the large brand of LVMH never go through, through radical changes, but I was curious to hear your thoughts on what changes you you, you think could happen or you may have already noticed in the, in, in the next phase of growth of these two uh, very large brands. Thank you. Well, the answer on your last question will be, uh, will be quick, uh, Thomas. I mean, the, the three top priorities are desirability, desirability, and desirability, and this doesn't change. I mean, it was the case with Michael, now with, uh, with Pietro, and with Pietro, now with Delphine. I mean, there is no change at all in our uh, strategy, and all our energy, energy is focused on increasing desirability of the, uh, of the brands. Coming on your, on your uh, questions, your more specific questions, uh, Thomas, on, on, on cognac, uh, well, it's a, it's a broad question, as you've seen. I mean, the, we, and as I an, uh, announced a few times already, I guess, uh, the, the, the first half of the year was not uh, a very good, uh, very good uh, period for, uh, for, for cognac for a number of reasons. First of all, we are, if I look at the eastern part of the world, we are recovering, yes, in, uh, in China, but mostly from a depletion viewpoint. From a sell-in viewpoint, we are still lagging behind uh, the level of business we used, to, we used to do because we built inventories, particularly at the end of last year, with the non-Chinese New Year period that we, that we experienced. We had accumulated stock in view of the Chinese New Year and nothing happened for reasons I don't have to, to, rem to, to remind you. So obviously this is a little, bit, uh, a little bit slow, but the business, the depletions, uh, particularly uh, in China, are picking up uh, nicely. And obviously at some point, the success inventories will be uh, absorbed and will resume growth in, um, uh, in China. So we are not uh, really worried uh, there. 
The US situation is a bit more uh, complicated. We combine a fairly tough comparison base in the first half of last year with uh, inventory uh, replenishment uh, after frantic growth in 2021. Uh, so we had to replenish inventories early in, to, in 2022. And a uh, pretty brutal and sudden uh, slowdown in demand starting uh, August uh, last year. And we've, we are still in that uh, situation. The U.S. market, uh, as you know, is for cognac a fairly cyclical market. Uh, we are selling to distributors who in turn sell to retailers, who in turn sell to uh, end, end customer. Uh, this is a complicated uh, system to, uh, to, to monitor, and we are obviously subject to inventory buildup or inventory so shortages that would cause some volatility in our own business. This is exactly what's, uh, what's happening. On top of that, we've been through a period of very high uh, demand in 2021 and early uh, 2022, but mostly 2021. Uh, and uh, this has caused most distributors to stop promotions on Hennessy. Why would they promote a, a business that they would do anyway? Um, the consequence of stop, stopping promotion, it's, it's not the first time we experience that, is that progressively Hennessy goes back into the, onto the, the, the shelves and some other categories are brought forward with, a bet, with, with, a better, uh, with better deals for the, for, the, for the customers. And progressively we see a, a decrease in the visibility and uh, the level of uh, activity from the, the, uh, from the, 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 the customers. Obviously, we are reacting to that. We have reignited a fairly uh, significant promotion activity in the, in the US, and it is already bearing fruits uh, in the areas or in the states where we have been able to implement them. Don't take me wrong, I mean, it will take a while. I mean, the US distribution system is extremely complex, and it takes, we have to do it on a state-by-state on a -state basis, and it will take a lot of time before we are probably, I would say, in between two and four quarters, before we are really able to benefit from uh, the, the, the impact of a renewed uh, marketing activity. Um, but the fact that some states are already showing some uh, promising uh, signs of early recovery is uh, encouraging. So uh, my crystal ball doesn't tell you uh, more than this. But we, we, we feel that we have, we have probably bottomed out in cognac in the, in the US. The next question comes from Edouard Robin from Morgan Stanley. Edouard, please ask your question. Uh, good evening. And again, Chris, uh, thank you so much for this uh, retirement. Um, Thank you for, for, for all your help over the years. So three questions. Cosmetics, uh, uh, Jean-Jacques, you mentioned that in Q1 that you know, growth was flat to down in Asia. And apologies if I missed it, but could you comment on the geographies and particularly Asia in, uh, in Q2? Because you had mentioned that you know, some of your competitors in the region in China were you know, overly aggressive in terms of discounting or, or presence in Hainan. And, and indeed, post that, I think we saw a warning from one of the biggest players there. But so, you know, is, is the situation, the competitive landscape normalizing there in terms of supply demand that would be helpful? So that's number one. Number two on the on Vuitton's uh, distribution strategy and more specifically the duty-free strategy. So it, it seems that you're uh, clearly moving away from downtown duty-free. I think you've downsized uh, very significantly your, your business in Korea, for example in recent years to more to airport duty-free. I think in the past you were quite reluctant 
uh, to go into airport because of high rents. So I think you know you're 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 under-indexed to the, the the channel versus some of your peers. So what has changed there in terms of you know the Vuitton uh, willingness now to be uh, bigger in, in airports? And and the last question is on on your operating profits. If you could uh, give us a little bit of color, uh, Jean-Jacques, on, on two items. I think general and administrative expenses were up. Uh, 19% on a reported basis versus 15% sales growth. So, so that would be helpful in terms of understanding why. And also others, I mean, 170 to 330, if I remember correctly, despite the fact that I think you have Belmont and so on, who should uh, uh, be flying in H1 and so on. So that would be helpful to understand why they increased in the, in the losses there. Thank you. Thank you, Edouard. Um, First of all, in cosmetics in, in Asia, it's, it's hard to say. For us, it's definitely, particularly travel retail Asia, is an area of, um, uh, of weakness uh, today. Uh, we are still down compared to last year, which was in turn down uh, compared to the preceding year, etc. as we want at, at, at all costs to avoid that travel retail in Asia becomes a sort of uh, uh, pass into uh, discarded products into, uh, into, into China. So as far as we are concerned, uh, we uh, suffer a little bit of uh, drop in business in travel retail Asia. The mainland China business is progressing. Difficult to say uh, by, by how much. Obviously, the comparison base in Q2 is distorted uh, a little bit there, the same way it was distorted elsewhere. So we have pretty strong, uh, strong numbers. On the global competition landscape, as you, as you ask, I think that progressively a lot of players realize that fueling the market through uh, Daegu and Parallel is not an option long term. Uh, they have already uh, caused a lot of promotional activity into China, and we all know that in all markets, including China, but in all markets, when promotion is there, it's hard to, to, uh, to, to, to take it out. So it will, it will take a while. As far as, our, as, as we are concerned, I mean, we don't want to, to, to play this game, but obviously this has a, a price, as, a, as I said many times, in terms of level of activity compared to more promotional uh, products or, uh, or brands. Um, the second question on duty-free, uh, what has changed? Well, the, the answer is in your question. Rents have changed. We've been able progressively to negotiate with airports uh, rents that were uh, making uh, the business uh, interesting from our uh, viewpoint. And the, 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 the airports are asking us rents that are commensurate with the type of business, we, uh, the type of traffic we could expect to benefit from, uh, and therefore uh, end up with margins that are comparable to what we do uh, elsewhere. And in this respect, we are much better off being in airports where we have a highly qualitative environment than to be in some downtown uh, duty-free areas, particularly in Korea, where sometimes uh, the surroundings are not up to our uh, distribution uh, standards. So um, this is why we, we are opening more and more airports as long as we can negotiate uh, good deals uh, from a, a rental fee uh, viewpoint. Uh, the question on, on GNA and uh, the other uh, category is, is the, same, the same answer. 
they, they was in the other category, not in the, in the operating activities, but in the central uh, cost portion of it, a number of one-offs. I will not go into, uh, into details, but that have, that have caused uh, this um, uh, particular uh, cost uh, line to uh, increase uh, quite significantly in the first half of the, um, of the year. And most of them are GNA. So the reason why you see an unusual increase in, in GNA and an unusual amount of uh, operating loss for the other division is, is, is the same thing. And most of it, if not all of it, but most of it is, uh, most of the increase is, is, uh, is one-off. The next question comes from Louis Singerhurst from Goldman Sachs. Louis, please ask your question. Hi, good evening, everyone. And uh, again, a very big thank you to Chris. You are going to be missed, but uh, thank you so much for everything over the years. And um, I'll keep it to two questions if I can. George, um, you very kindly talked about the US environment and you gave that, hint, uh, that discussion around the aspirational consumer. Can you just help us think about um, what you're seeing more broadly across the product categories? Is it the aspirational consumer across the various uh, divisions? And is there anything that we should think about um, I know we're not going to get an exit rate, but when I think about the progression through the quarter, is there anything that we should think about going into Q3? Um, and then secondly, I wondered if you could talk about the European consumer, that domestic cluster, if you're still seeing anything there to do with the aspirational. And I fib, I'm going to get my third question in. Um, if I could just ask about... Um, when we think about um, the volatility uh, and the potential in the market, Obviously, you're not anything like in cost-saving mode, given the strong growth that we've seen. Um, but is there anything in the cost base that you're thinking about differently today than you were the last time we had an update with you at, at Q1? Is there a cause for more vigilance um, in terms of the overall budgeting and the thought around the cost, um, the, the cost and the budget as you look out to the rest of 2023? Thank you. Thank you, Louise. Um, so. Your, your first question is about aspirational customers across category. I would say that my comment is, uh, pertains mostly to cognac, to fashion leather, and to a lesser extent to uh, jewelry. This is where we've seen a little bit of discrepancy between the top end of the portfolio uh, from a product viewpoint in particular and entry price uh, level where the business was more uh, muted. Uh, anything about Q3, frankly, I don't know. I mean, this probably will not vanish in 10 minutes. But if we assume that this is coming from a special group of customers that were uh, benefiting from uh, subsidies in the COVID, uh, in the pandemic uh, period, this will come to an end at some point, whether this will be in, uh, I mean, the impact, dec decreasing impact will come to an end at some point, Wh whether this will be in Q3 or later, frankly, I don't, um, uh, I don't really know. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, your second question is about uh, do we see with uh, locals in Europe the same discrepancy between aspirational and, and other uh, customers? The answer is no. Well, we, the, it's, it's a factor which seems to be particularly uh, unique in the, um, uh, in the U.S. And your third question about uh, volatility, um, well, I take it as uh, what keeps me awake at night for uh, the rest of the, um, uh, of, the, uh, of the year. Well, I tend to sleep reasonably, uh, reasonably well. But as always, I mean, the, the, the world is full of uncertainties, and particularly with regard to currencies, nobody knows uh, what, could, uh, what, what could happen. So I'm not saying I'm pessimistic or that I've, I forecast 
uh, any uh, currency drop. I mean, nobody knows uh, making currency forecast is, a, is neither an art nor a science, so I don't know exactly what it is. In my view, it doesn't exist. Uh, but it's always, in terms of risks, that's always something that we have to, um, to put somewhere in our uh, analysis. The next question comes from Susanna Put from UBS. Uh, thank you for taking my questions and best of luck to Chris and Rob. Um, so first of all, uh, maybe on ANP spend, because that's been a um, sort of a big topic um, this half and also the prior one. Would you be able to the ANP spend roughly as a percentage of sales so, for... So, Susanna, we missed part yes. of your question. Sorry, you were, you were cut uh, off at some point. Apologies. Hello? Yes, can you, can you please ah, re sorry. repeat your question because we missed part yes. of it. Uh, so my question was on A&P spend. If you're to talk about the division or LV per se, uh, what would be the sort of, you know, level, I guess, this half or, or second half of last year, uh, given, given that you've hired, increased the spend? Uh, I'm, I'm not so sure I get your question so because I missed some, some words out of it. But if I'm not mistaken, you're, you're, you're asking whether what is the sort of uh, steady state level of advertising and promotion uh, once uh, if we take out uh, the exceptional uh, spending that have taken place in H2 and uh, last year and H1 this year? Is that, is that No, correct? I guess more specifically what level you've reached versus the historical spend, because obviously you've been spending a bit more. And I want to put it in a wider sector context, I guess specifically maybe yeah. how tough well, it may be for some of your peers to catch up. Well, if, I, if I'm not, I cannot compare, uh, compare our spending with our peers because that, 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 that would be, uh, I mean, I, because I don't know their numbers. Uh, but uh, the, what, what we've seen over the last three, four years is roughly speaking an increase of one ba one, 100 basis point. In percent, so one percent of sales in terms of advertising and promotion. I think we moved, roughly speaking, from eleven to twelve, something, uh, uh, something like that. Uh, at the same time, we have benefited from um, uh, significant operating le leverage on selling expenses. So basically, we have reinvested into advertising and promotion what we've been saving on uh, se selling expenses. So that's that, that's uh, that, that's where we uh, where we are. For the time being, I, I would expect this to remain uh, fairly constant for the quarters to, uh, to, to come. But that's obviously all of the things being equal. And I don't think there is such a thing as uh, everything being uh, equal in uh, incoming quarters. So we'll see what, uh, what happens. Thank you. The next question comes from Erwan Rambourg from HSBC. <laughs> Yeah, hi, good evening. I hope you can hear me. Congratulations on H1 and many thanks and congratulations to both uh, Chris and Rod. Hope to see you both soon. Um, three questions, if I may. Um, looking at the US for fashion leather, you're saying you were slightly up in Q1, slightly down in Q2. Uh, again, I know you don't have a crystal ball, uh, Jean-Jacques, but I'm just wondering um, if you believe there are reasons for fashion uh, maybe to, to do slightly better in H2, whether it's linked to store openings or possibly repatriation of U.S. consumers given the, um, uh, the current FX or possibly equity markets, which are actually very strong right now in the U.S. Um, secondly, looking at fashion and uh, close to 20% top-line growth in H1, I'm wondering if you can isolate um, what part of that is driven by price increases. Uh, 
and maybe what is your appetite to increase uh, potentially further prices in H2 uh, for that division? And then lastly, I'm wondering if you can comment on um, the contribution of Chinese nationals uh, in both Europe and Japan uh, as a percentage of sales and uh, maybe how that um, compares to what it was uh, pre-COVID uh, before the world uh, um, shut down. Thank you. Well, uh, the first question you anticipate reasonably well that I will, uh, my crystal ball that doesn't tell me uh, much about, uh, about it. One precision, nevertheless. The, the slightly positive, slightly negative number I mentioned is about the U.S. cluster as a, uh, the U.S. customer cluster as a whole. It's not the U.S. Uh, business, fashion leather in the U.S. It's uh, taking into account the touristic, uh, the st touristic flow. You're right. I mean, maybe we'll get repatriation with a weaker dollar. I mean, the, the short answer is that we don't uh, we, we we don't know. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll see and further discussions on this when we release Q, Q3 numbers. But for the time being, I, I feel a bit uh, a bit short on uh, on insights as to what could happen in the rest of the of the year. Uh, price increase uh, in uh, it's always difficult uh, to to look at it globally for the for the for the division, but don't don't make sure you don't exaggerate the impact of it. I mean, we we passed on some price increases uh, last year to reflect inflation. It was pretty early in the in the in the year, so uh, there is no uh, there is only little impact. Uh, in uh, in the uh, first half of, uh, of of this year, and the uh, price increases that have impacted us uh, positively uh, in the first half of the year were mostly in uh, in Europe. Uh, late last year and in February, we had limited three four percent price increases, if not across the board. I mean, in in many uh, in many brands. But Europe is only uh, a quarter of the of the business, so the global impact of price increases is not enormous. It's not negligible. I will not go into details, as if I'm not mistaken, our competitors are pretty shy on, on describing that in too many details. But anyway, it's not uh, it's not a big contributor to the global um, uh, the global growth of the division in the first half of the um, uh, of the year. Uh, your third question is about Chinese nationals in Europe and Japan. Well, in Europe, it's very small. Uh, it used to be a large, a big chunk of uh, of the of the business in uh, in 20, uh, up to 2019. It's very very small. I mean, we have uh, we have no groups. We have only individual travelers, and they are only a fraction of the total uh, clients we used to have in uh, in Europe. So it's very small. And in Japan, it's about 15 percent. I'm talking fashion and leather, obviously. It's about 15 percent of uh, the total business, which is pretty close. To to what we used to do in 2019. So the, the, the rebalancing of the Japanese business, uh, touristic and nationals came, came back pretty, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. Bear in mind that uh, Japanese prices are pretty low due to the drop in, um, in, the, in the value of the yen. And there is a big price difference between uh, China and Japan today that will be progressively uh, that will be decreasing in the in the future as we increase progressively our prices in Japan as we have to. We don't want Japan to become a sort of uh, uh, hub for daigus uh, that, that, that will flow the products into into China. So unfortunately, we will have to increase and we already increase progressively our prices in Japan. 
Next question comes from Geoffroy de Mendez from Banque of America. Yeah, thank you very much for, for taking my question. Um, and thanks very much uh, for all the help, Chris, and best of luck for, uh, to, to Rod for, for the future. Um, I have three questions. So the first one, I wanted to come back on the very, very first question, which was about the, the Chinese cluster and the performance that you mentioned, uh, the 40 to 45%. Can you just remind us if you were talking about the quarter Q2 or if it was about the whole first half? Because you also said that Jan and Feb were no, it's, a bit it's a weaker. Whole, it's a whole first half. It's a whole first half. So it's so H, so Q2 is going to be significantly or quite above that that number. Because no, yeah, I, I know what you're implying. Well, it's it's comparable to uh, to uh, to Q to Q1. Nevertheless, the reason you're asking that is that January was still a bit disrupted. Uh, yeah. But. Um, all in all, I mean, February has been uh, better and March has been very, very good. So all in all, I mean, we, we end up with Q1 and Q2 compared to uh, 2021 being comparable. Not exactly the same number, but comparable. Geoffroy, we've lost you. No, the microphone is off. Yeah, thank you. I was muted. Um, so yeah, the second question is on the operating investments in the in the in the in the cash uh, uh, cash flow statements. Um, obviously, I mean, you generate a, a lot of cash. Uh, there's not a ton of M&A activity out there at the moment, and so therefore, you're, you're, it seems you're buying stores at the moment and, and real estate. Is that uh, something that sort of a new normal that you're going to do going forward? It's a new strategy for the group in, in terms of capital allocation. And and then just my last question is going to be on the, on the Fulia margins. I think I remember you saying that you wanted to, to defend the margins uh, at least for 2023. And uh, they're slightly down for the first half. Um, I understand there is a marketing investment, which we discussed that maybe it's going to come down a little bit in the second half of the year relative to, to sales growth. But is it still true that you're, you're, you're targeting to defend the margin for the full year in 2023? Um, thank you. So on the cash flow and the real estate uh, in, uh, investment, which were quite significant as we invested as, as much as a billion and a half in the, in the first half, I would say it's quite opportunistic. We um, do not have a global strategy of owning our, our stores. Renting is fine. And in pure financial terms, actually owning and renting is exactly the same thing as the, the value of a property is the discounted value of its rents. So basically it should be exactly the same. In the real life, there are some locations, not that many, but some, some traditional locations where by experience, we, uh, we, exper we, we see that the rental fees are growing faster than actually uh, their the implied value in assessing the, the global property value. So then it makes sense to, to own it because there is an opportunity uh, in the market to buy it at a certain price, which is usually extremely high. But actually what happens is that in the years to come, if we rent, chances are that the rental costs will go even higher. And we'll, so we are better, better off owning uh, the property rather than renting it. 
There are not many places like that. You can mention Paris, London, uh, New York on Fifth Avenue, and probably Rodeo Drive in, in um, Los Angeles. And that's, that's about it. And that, that's where we've been putting over the years, because it didn't start yesterday, over the years, the bulk of the capital we've been investing into, uh, into real estate. We happen to have a, an opportunity uh, on Champs-Élysées uh, at the end of the, uh, of the first semester, which we decided to, uh, to, to buy because it's an exceptional uh, building. There may be more, a little bit more to come, but it will depend on the quality of the opportunities that we, uh, that we see. In any way, we just buy exceptional buildings in very safe and stable locations. And full year margins. Yes, we, the, the, the short answer is that yes, we intend to defend our uh, full year margins at the level of, uh, of, uh, of last year. Obviously, barring uh, significant currency movements, because if there is one thing that could uh, distort uh, margins uh, in the short term, it is currencies. I mean, we cannot always replicate into selling prices the, the swings in currencies, so this could have an impact. But otherwise, we, we, we expect, despite the, the, the slight uh, decrease in the, in the first half, we would, uh, we, we would expect to, uh, to keep the same level of margins. The next question comes from Carol Maggio from Barclays. Hi, yes, good evening. Um, a few questions for me, please. One, to come back on the behavior of the Chinese consumer. I've been hearing some of your peers mentioning that um, they have seen in mainland China a bit of pressure on the high-ticket items as the consumers were, I guess, holding off a bit on their spending uh, as they were waiting to buy once they will be able to travel abroad. Uh, have you also seen this kind of trend um, across your brand? That's the first question. And the second question will be on a hard luxury. The first one on Tiffany. Uh, can you come back on the reception of the reopening of the New York store um, during uh, the quarter? And can you also quantify how much it boosted Tiffany's sales in Q2 if possible? And the last one as well um, on the watch space. I see that there is a bit of focus around brand elevation uh, when I look at LV or Tiger uh, on the back of the recent news flows. Um, can you come back a bit on uh, the strategy you have for your watch brands and uh, how you view as well the trend in the watch industry at the moment? Thank you. Thank you, Carol. So the, um, the pressure on high, high tickets, frankly, no, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't feel it. Um, the, the Chinese customers are, the, the breakdown of the business is not, I mean, it's not constant, but it is not entirely different from what it was last, well, two years ago and prior to, uh, to the pandemic. So we, we, we cannot comment on, uh, on that. From time to time, we have high uh, ticket items that are being bought uh, abroad, uh, particularly in locations where taxes are, uh, are lower. But that's that's not the that's not the norm. So for the for the for the time being, we we, we get no pressure from uh, uh, from that. Uh, I will disappoint you on the following question about the landmark. I mean, we don't even disclose Tiffany sales, so it's unlikely that we will disclose the sales of uh, one of uh, their uh, their stores. The only thing that that I can say is that it's it's doing very well. Uh, according, if not better than our uh, than our plans, but. 
it goes beyond the simple numbers. I mean, it's, it's a very important um, uh, landmark, I, w uh, I would say, in our elevating uh, strategy for, for, for Tiffany and its testimony to really what we want the brand to, uh, to, to become. And given the, uh, the, the business we do, and even more importantly, the tra traffic we get into that store, it's, um, I wouldn't say free advertising because it didn't, it didn't come for free, but uh, it's, it's also good, uh, good advertising. So the benefit of the landmark is not only the business we do there, but the impact it has on the, um, uh, on the, on the global image of the, um, of the brand. Um, thirdly, on, on watches, uh, watches are, are doing okay uh, in the first half of the, of the year in all, uh, in, in all categories. The big difference with some of our competitors is that we are less exposed to Asia, and usually Asia is the first uh, area to recover uh, or to the first area of growth, and we've never been able to um, uh, benefit from that as we our share of the of, of the business in in Asia is 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 low. As far as the U.S. is concerned. We feel a bit of pressure, particularly on the aspirational uh, customer side, as I explained before, on, um, on other categories. But all in all, I mean, it's not too bad. So we, we, we end up with a slight, I mean, low, low single-digit growth in this particular segment of the, of the business, which is uh, not too bad given our pretty high exposure to um, uh, the, the, the U.S. market in some brands. The next question comes from Dana Telsi from Telsi Advisory Group. Hi, um, thank you very much, Chris. C congratulations. And I just wonder if, is, are we still going to get the birthday emails that we typically <laughs> get? Kind <laughs> of many years ago. A um, couple questions. First of all, the Tiffany store looks terrific. I love the Audrey Hepburn room and I see how thank it you. elevates the. Are you plant? And I know you just updated Tokyo also. Are there other, how do you see the rollout of the Tiffany remodelings going forward? Second, you mentioned digital for a moment in the US. What are you seeing in your digital performance versus your own store performance? And can you expand just a bit on Sephora, skincare and makeup, what you're seeing, whether it's in the US or other areas of the world? Thank you. Thank you, Dana. Uh, so the, the, the rollout of the uh, store concept at Tiffany, uh, well, first of all, we'll take some time as we have to, uh, to redo basically the, the whole fleet. I mean, the, not one single store, apart from the few ones that we have already renovated, are uh, up to our standards. And it will take uh, time and a lot of money to, uh, to, redo, uh, to, to redo them. We won't, I reassure you, we won't do them all in the format of uh, Fifth Avenue. I mean, we'll uh, be adapting to uh, the various markets, but at, at the end of the day, what we want is within three, four years max to have redone most of the, 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 the network of stores at, um, at Tiffany. And that's a significant capital cost that we have to, to bear. But frankly, I mean, what we want to do is a brand cannot be done in, existing, uh, in the existing network. Uh, digital uh, versus brick and mortar stores, which is your uh, second question, Nana. Um, digital is, roughly speaking, across the world, but into most geographies, 
quite stable, so the bulk of the growth comes from uh, the uh, stores, physical stores, and conversely, obviously, the share, global share of digital goes down a little bit in the, in the, um, uh, in the global business. The question I would, uh, I would ask myself is whether this is relevant or not. I mean, our digital strategy is mostly an omnichannel strategy, which is basically a strategy whereby we are, uh, I would say, uh, indifferent whether clients are purchasing online or offline. And we are now being faced with situations where people are uh, buying products online and getting uh, store delivery. Is it online or brick and mortar? We don't know. Or the other way around, I mean, people in stores deciding to get uh, uh, shipping at, uh, at home. Is it online or brick and mortar uh, business? I don't, uh, I don't know. So this difference between, between the two is probably relevant in some categories. Uh, maybe at Sephora, for, in, for, for, for instance, although we also promote omnichannel as, as, a, as a key uh, competitive advantage for, for, for Sephora, but for other categories, I mean, I think it's less and less uh, relevant. Uh, this make, makes a, 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 a link to the last question on Sephora. Uh, Sephora had a pretty good, uh, or very good, I should say, uh, first half of the, um, uh, of the year with nice growth, I would say, almost everywhere in the, in the world, be it uh, the US, be it uh, uh, Canada, be it uh, Latin America, France, Italy, or the Middle East. I mean, we've done, uh, we've done pretty well, not only from a top line viewpoint, but also from a top bottom line viewpoint. We are, uh, the margin improved, uh, improved markedly. So we are, we are pretty happy with uh, what Sephora does and has been doing for the last couple of years, I would say. The next question comes from Charles-Louis Scotti from Kepler Chevrolet. Yes, uh, thank you for taking my questions. Uh, I have two. Uh, actually, the, the first one, uh, there has been much uh, discussion about uh, how much Chinese spendings uh, will, uh, will shift back to overseas market. And uh, it seems that the, the, the share of domestic spendings of Chinese will uh, remain structurally uh, higher than pre-pandemic level. Um, I'm just curious to hear your, your view on this topic and what will be the, the implications for your business and, and potentially on your profitability. Um, and then on selective retailing, uh, on the margin turnaround of, uh, of the division, could you please uh, help us quantify uh, how much of that is coming from uh, uh, Sephora and uh, how much of that is coming from the strong rebound at, uh, at DFS? And uh, without giving us some uh, precise numbers uh, on Sephora, uh, could you please tell us how far we are uh, at DFS from the, the pre-pandemic margin and, and earnings level? Thank you. Thank you. Um, um, so the first question, sorry. Chinese. Chinese, okay. Um, on, on, onshore and, and, uh, and offshore. So as I said, I mean, last year was 1585. This year is 3070. Uh, so it's... It, the, the, the shift of business back to uh, uh, touristic markets happens pretty pretty fast. To be frank, a bit faster than we uh, than we than we thought, but we we adjust uh, to this uh, uh, new uh, situation. Is it a stable proportion, or will it uh, increase further? I don't really know. I mean, obviously, it will depend a little bit on the reopening of European markets for uh, Chinese uh, customers. For the time being, as I said before, we hardly have any uh, Chinese uh, groups, uh, particularly uh, in, uh, in Europe. 
the day uh, those markets reopened, and I'm not making any forecast as to when this will happen. Obviously, there will be a further shift of business into touristic market, as a, uh, probably at the expense of the the um, uh, the, uh, the domestic market. But for the time being, it's still uh, far off. I mean, we have no particular visibility on that um, uh, on, the, on that point. In terms of profitability, I mean, we've seen. A, a, both an increase uh, in the profitability of um, uh, of Sephora in the first half of the uh, of the year, and actually a return to a marginal but a profit anyway at uh, at, uh, at DFS. So in terms of impact, it's uh, roughly speaking half half uh, with with the two uh, the two divisions. Obviously, DFS is very far away from its peak uh, margins, which were above uh, 10%. I mean, we are hardly positive, but at least we are positive compared to a loss-making uh, situation last year uh, that was quite unique, but uh, painful anyway. And the last question comes from Li Weihu from CICC. Thank you very much, gentlemen, and uh, congratulations to both Chris and Rod for moving on to the next stage of your life and career. Um, I have three questions. Uh, first two are very uh, straightforward, and the last one is more open-ended. Uh, the first one is um, Chinese cluster. On a four-year stack, when comparing with 2019, I, I, think, uh, I think in the first quarter, uh, uh, Zhongjiak, thank you for uh, letting us know that Chinese cluster has grown 40 to 50% versus 2019. Just want to get the update for the number right now. And uh, given that, if I'm not mistaken, the American cluster and perhaps European cluster have grown uh, some, something like 60 or 70 percent 2022 versus 2019. There's uh, apparently a gap between the growth and how in what time frame do you think the Chinese growth will catch up with the growth of the Western clusters? So, so, so that's the first question I have. And the second one, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Tiffany's last annual report before the acquisition, it had disclosed uh, 37 exposure to the US market. I wonder how that number has evolved uh, to today. And yeah, and uh, yeah. 37% of what? In the US? Okay, yeah. sorry. Go yeah, ahead. sorry. The, the Tiffany. Yeah, Tiffany exposure to the U.S. and uh, I'm just trying my luck here. If you also touch a little bit on Bulgaria's exposure to China, that'd be very helpful in understanding the dynamics. And and this last question is: some of your peers have recently commented on the uh, you know future growth of luxury industry. They have deemed the high growth in the past three years as abnormal, and they have put forward high single-digit low teams as a sustainable growth going forward. I wonder what would be our comments on that. Yeah, sorry for the long questions. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, the four-year stack, I mean, I thought I would be bringing you some news with two-year stacks, but it's never enough. I mean, you really want now the four years. Unfortunately, I don't, I, I don't have them. What I, I can try to, to sort of put together the numbers. Uh, as last year, we, we announced that our uh, business for the full year was for fashion leather about 70% bigger than what it was in uh, in 2019 so as we have added up something like 20% above above that we are probably twice as big as what we were 
uh, in, uh, in 2019. When it comes to uh, nationalities, um, I think that uh, the U.S. customer, as I, I couldn't give you precise numbers from the top of my head, but what I would say is that on a, on a trend basis, the U.S. customer, despite what happened in the first half of the year, is definitely up, up in the total of the, of the business. Uh, the uh, Chinese customer is probably uh, stable, and the European customer is a bit uh, is a bit down, uh, as well as the non-Chinese Asian uh, Asian customers. But it's, they are both down because uh, the the rest of the of the business has grown so uh, so fast. So I would uh, you will forgive me for the the, the the lack of precision of this answer, but uh, I'm just trying to reconcile the numbers. I uh, I have to try to give you some hints at, at least on your uh, on your question. Uh, the share uh, of Tiffany in the U.S. is now slightly above 40 percent, something like 42. It was a bit higher uh, la uh, last year. It's about 42 percent of uh, of total in the um, in the U.S. And your question on um, long-term uh, growth, uh, always difficult to, uh, to, to say. We never said that growing 20% per annum, as we've been doing, roughly speaking, I mean, ar around 15, 20% per annum, as we've done in uh, the last three years, is a new normal. We never said that. I mean, but what is, what is uh, the long-term average uh, growth rate? I don't really know. The only number I will give you and you will forgive me, it's the last question of a, of, a, of a long list, is that the share price of LVMH over the last 33 years has been going up by 11.5% per annum. So maybe that's also an indication of the underlying business and what, we've, uh, what, uh, what we have done. Thank you. That was the last question. Uh, a couple of words uh, to, to conclude, not to come back on what we just discussed, but and I will be probably the, the 15th to do that, to thank Chris uh, uh, after 23 years, that's mm -hmm. it, 23 years with, uh, with us. Uh, I don't think I have to insist too much on how instrumental Chris has been over the years in developing quality relationships with the investment community. Uh, Rodolphe uh, will replace Chris, which means that Rodolphe will be responsible for downturn in the share price and will have nothing to do when the share price uh, goes up. Uh, uh, but uh, it's not a surprise for uh, anyone as we have been building this transition for, for years. So thank you, Chris, for your invaluable contribution to LVMH and all the best for this uh, new chapter of your life. And with this, I conclude the presentation, and Rodolphe and I look forward to discussing with you Q3 numbers in October. Thank you, and goodbye. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.